We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, Ryan, let's dive into the mailbag. We had a ton of great questions today. Once we finally got everybody kind of zeroed in on topic, there were some really great questions related to this, and then some great questions not related to this topic, which are also okay for us to to dive into in the mailbag section. So I want to start things off with Christopher Morgan with Super Chat. Christopher, thank you very, very much. This is Happy Tuesday, IB fam. I would like to see more high-tempo offense. Start fast, stay hungry, finish strong for the entire 60 minutes. And don't just settle for a win Make teams triple think game plans for us. Let's dominate. Go Irish. So Ryan, uh, I personally, I, I I love the value that tempo brings to the table. My sure. personal offensive philosophy is more. I'm 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 more in line. People ask, you know, why are you not as you know critical of Tommy Reese? And there's a million reasons why. But but one of the things is his style of offense that we saw last year is more in line with what I believe in, in that I like tempo as a changeup. I like a certain, I like, I, I like to say, you know what? I'm not a tempo guy. I'm a pace guy. Sure. And I think a pace guy is more of a, okay, we're going to, we're going to move with some urgency, but it's not a great urgency, meaning we're going to get lined up. So that way we can get into our motions and our shifts and run our stuff that way. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of leverage and numbers and, and isolations and, and, those things happen the way I like them more effectively in a more pro style offense, which is, is using multiple formations and multiple personnel groupings and things like that, which you can't necessarily do as effectively. I advocated for Notre Dame early in the year last year, going to more of a tempo offense because I felt they needed to do it to protect the quarterback. And we started to see Tommy kind of implement that kind of later in the year. But even then we still saw the motions and the shifts and, and we saw the 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 using those things to create isolations. That's more in my wheelhouse. So mm-hmm. that's kind of why I'm excited to see what he's going to bring this year because that's just my own personal preference. Now we'll see how it how it goes this year. But I always feel that you have to have tempo. And we talked about this last week. We'll need to rehash it again, but you always have to have tempo in your back pocket. If you're not a tempo team and you can't go tempo to get out of a funk or to just throw something at the defense, I don't think you're you're going to battle with all your your, your entire arsenal. Uh, I just, I'm just not a believer that you have to go tempo 
just as a matter of principle. I think there are certain teams like last year that needed to be tempo because they didn't have the line to, to not be tempo as we saw. Um, but this year's team, I, I don't think that need is there. So uh, I don't, I'm not as we got to go fast as I was last year. Cause I think the team is different. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm, I, yeah, we, we, again, we talked about this a lot last week, but I think that you need both sides to the coin, right? Like you need to be able to change. I, I like the word pace that you used, right? Like I, and I think when I think of pacing, I think of that you can change a pace, right? right. Like you don't have to be full throttle all the time. You can reel it back. You can chew right. clock a little bit. You can work up tempo type of situations. Like that, that's for me, the biggest thing is I want to see an offense that has every layer because I, I, again, I'm a defensive guy at my core. So I think of what bothers me, right? I, what bothers me is when I can't predict things, when they come out and they throw things at you that you haven't seen. And that, that, that works not only with plays and formations, it also works with the pacing of everything. And the faster that you get something in, it can be really frustrating. But then when you start to get used to that pace and then they slow it completely down, you're like, oh, this is making me a little anxious. Like, I don't like this situation right now. So I think you need both things to be successful. There's no right or wrong way necessarily. I just think that if you are a one trick pony, quote unquote, unquote, then you are a lot more predictable. No matter what that trick, no matter the speed or tempo that one trick is. And I think that's why you would see some teams that were tempo teams get into the bigger games and struggle Mm -hmm. to to be as efficient as they were in the regular season or against other opponents. So, but love the super chat. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate that. I do think the second part of what he said is something I'm a very, I'm a big believer in. No matter the temple you go at, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of doing what you got to do to start fast. I don't care if it's a script or tempo or whatever. You got to jump. I'm a jump on a team quick, and then when you get that lead, go for the the, the finish, right? Yes. And I think one thing about this Notre Dame football team for years, they have not been good finishers. And, and it's why they've played so many games that were closer than they should have been. It's why they played, you know, games where they would, would not be able to win it at the end. And why they, now they've been good finishers in the standpoint of they could out talent some inferior teams to come back and win against Virginia and Temple and teams like Pitt and teams like that. They never should have been in those situations to begin with. And a lot of it was because Notre Dame has not been a great first quarter team for a long time. They just don't come out and just jump all over you. That's what made that 2017 team so unique because mm-hmm. they could come out and just be that team that they were just like, man, they were on you before. You, you didn't even know what happened, <laughs> you know, and and you make a mistake. And next thing you know, it's like it's ball game. Right. And and that's what this team needs to be, Ryan. They have to get back to being a team that just comes out hungry and just we're going to score on you every single time we touch the football. It's just that I don't think you need to be a tempo team to do that. You know, a, a, not, sure. a, a, a team that to me is pro style may have a possession or two less per game, mm-hmm. but they can still be elite offenses, as we saw with Steve Sarkeesian's offense two years ago, if you're precise. I'm a big fan of precision over tempo, my personal preference. You know, you can score a ton of points. You're just going to do it on fewer possessions and fewer plays. And that's what I want to see from this football team this year. And it's especially important when you have a team that, that doesn't have great depth. It's hard to go tempo if you don't have great depth of the skill positions, because I don't care how in shape you are, you add an extra hundred to 150 snaps on the season. Plus you're taking a higher volume of those snaps because your depth isn't good. You become less effective in November. And in this year, especially, this is going to be, in my opinion, potentially the most important November Notre Dame has had in a long time. Just looking at the schedule on paper, Clemson, USC on the road, 
Boston College and Navy, the triple option mixed in with all those other things. You know, BC is going to have a chance to be one of the better teams on the schedule this year. You know, there's a lot of questions I got to answer, so I'm not ready to put them in there yet. But if by the end of the year, BC is the third or fourth best team on the schedule, I'm not going to be shocked if they can answer some questions on the offensive line. But they're going to have some of the best group of skill that Notre Dame is going to face all year. They're definitely in my top three or four in regards to skill players, right? All around skill players. And and so, uh, but where will they be? So that's what makes November super important. And, and uh, you've got to be healthy. And it's hard to do that when you're going tempo with five healthy, six healthy receivers, three healthy backs, those type of things. So uh, that's another aspect to it as well, right? I like I like what Christopher said here with just don't settle. I yes. think that when you're when you're talking about what we saw in the spring practice, I mean one big thing that you when you watch Harry Heeson, it's finishing through the whistle, right? Finishing mm-hmm. through the man, continue to drive. Don't settle for just a stalemate. You like you want to be aggressive with it, right? And I feel like I've also seen that with Notre Dame football, right? Where it's just like mm-hmm. just took the foot off the gas early for whatever yep. reason, you know, and it's just not I don't think that you want to play like that. Like I want, I think you want to teach your players from first string all the way down to guys that are more of, you know, your, your, your not practice squad was not in the NFL, but more of your, your scout team type players that you got to finish, man. Like when, when you start something, you're going to finish it to your highest degree. And I, I don't want you to change your identity. Like I, I don't want you, I'm not saying go out there and, you know, you're up 40 points and you're still throwing bombs. Right. right. But like there is a thing of like, why are you not being aggressive and letting these kids play, right? right. Like, why are you completely altering your philosophy as a team? You still That's a finish. mentality, Ryan. That's yes. a mentality. And, yep. and that's, like you said, that's got to be preached all the time. And, and and Bobby Bowden used to catch a lot of flack for running up the score on people because he would put his backup team group and they would still throw the ball. Now, again, I don't believe in, like you said, I'm running a, a reverse throwback type of <laughs> trick play type of stuff. But my whole thing is we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Sure. And it's your job to stop us. That's why like, I I get why people do it. I don't think it's disrespectful, but I almost kind of feel like I would, if I'm getting inside the three yard line and there's enough time and we have to run a play, I'm not taking a knee inside the five. I'm scoring. It's your job to stop us. Now I'm not getting tackled and hustling up and getting back up the line of scrimmage to run it again and punch it in the end zone when I'm up 38 to three, not doing that. But every time we snap the ball, I'm going to try to score. The exception being you're out in the field and there's 30 seconds left. That's different, right? But mm-hmm. it, and, and honestly, to me, it's because what what's the what are you you're, you're trying to tell kids? It's it's you finish, right? You, you go till you finish. And 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 to me, that's just that's a mentality they haven't had. And I would like to see that instilled. And and that's why I say, like every time you step foot on the field, you're not done until you get in the end zone. Sure. And it's a mindset. And, and I'm hoping the coach Reese can instill that. And I think having Harry he stand back helps with that. Because when your offensive line is setting that agenda, everybody else better follow. And it's going to be interesting to see how how effectively it can or cannot pull that off this year. Especially with the competi- competition mantra, right? Like, and then right. – because if I was a player and maybe I was a little bit down the depth chart, but I've been competing my butt off in practice all week, and I finally get in a game and you're like, oh, we're calling off the dogs. We're just going to, you know, yeah. run the ball three times and just get over it. Right. No, man, let me compete. Like well, I've, I've been yeah. working my tail off for this. And, and we saw that in Brian Kelly's first year. This is, this is this is like you look back and like things add up after the fact. But it's like the bowl game and some bowl game against Miami. No name's up 27 to 3 at halftime. That was an opportunity for that game to just be a just a I mean destruction. Well, Miami outscores you 14 to 6 in the second half because you just took your foot off the gas. It's the last game of the year. Go have some fun. 
If Miami's players don't want to be there and don't want to stop you, that's on them, not on you. It's not your job to protect the other team, right? Now, there there's a there comes a point in time, like I felt like Steve Sarkeesian in 2016 showed respect for Notre Dame when Notre Dame was just a beat-up team. Now, he didn't stop running his offense, though. It's just they weren't throwing bombs. They had that one long drive that took time. He, he clearly took his foot off the gas. But that was when they were up 42 to 14, not second quarter up 20 to nothing. You know what I mean? And then I did I did think Brian Kelly repaid that favor a couple a year later. Uh that no, it's 2014 is when that happened, not 2016. 2014 is when Sarkeesian did that. And then Brian Kelly repaid that favor three day three years later when Notre Dame kind of chipped long through a bomb when they were up like 42 to 14. And Kelly was like, no, no more of that. Uh, Cause Chip wanted to score 60 on USC in that game, which I understand. Good for um, Chip. Good you know, for Chip. but, uh, but it's just that mindset that you have to have. And, and and I just don't think you can turn that switch on and off. I think you just need to leave it on all the time. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. The Black Velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls. It was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French Roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face. And she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by Trade after she filled out a short quiz. You got to give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you, and Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, They'll take your feedback, and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. 
That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. We have a super chat from John Rich. John says, if they move Blake to guard next to Joe Joe if they move Blake Fisher to guard next to Joe Ta- Joe Alda tackle, how would that compare to McGlinchey and Nelson? Wow. That's quite, a great question. Yeah, quite favorably. Uh, sorry, yes. we're looking at projection of what they can be fav- quite favorably, yeah. And and they're somewhat, I mean, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not going to compare Blake Fisher to uh to Quentin Nelson, but I mean from a physical perspective, that's what you kind of hope that Blake Fisher is, right? Like well, what you're trying like to say, Ryan, is it, thing. Yeah. what you're trying to say, and it's okay to say it, is people people have enough common sense, they should anyway, uh, to know that when you say he's very similar to Blake Quentin Nelson, you're not saying he's going to be a generational guard that's number six overall pick in the draft. No. What Ryan's saying is their styles and their what makes them effective is similar. Big, like huge, pretty good athlete for size, really nice natural power, like tackle length inside. Uh, so yeah, it would be very similar. And I would argue that, you know, Blake Fisher is not Quentin Nelson. Uh, there's no one in college football, in my opinion, that's Quentin Nelson. Uh, but he's pretty darn good potential wise. And I would argue that Joe Walt has more upside than Mike McGlinchey did in my sure. opinion. So sure. it could be comparable. I just don't think we're going to see it. I think we're going to see them as bookends is kind of how I see this thing playing out for the next couple of seasons. And, uh, agreed. You know, I, I'm not opposed to it, and there's been a time where I've advocated for it, but it would require somebody to force Blake away from tackle. If somebody forces Blake away from tackle, then move him. If that means you're going to get your best five on the field. David Knight with all, another super chat. Thank you for this, David. I've heard during games the best adjustments for a team are from the first to second game of the year. Do you agree with that or fluid all year? I do not agree with that. I have I made the fluid. case. Yeah, I think you can overreact to one game. And I think I think anyone that has that mantra to me is overreacting to one game. I, I think it's it's kind of like the biggest adjustments. Like let's say you come out and you and you play great out of your minds in the first game, and then you kind of change. And, and and maybe it's in an area you weren't expecting. Maybe you think you're going to be a running team, and you come out in the opener and you just shred the team passing the football. Well, hey, you know what, man, we're, we're we need to adjust and, and be more of a passing team. Like that's an overreaction. Still, still, who you are? Uh, hey, we really struggled with this after one game. Boy, we better adjust. I, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the case to go away from what we thought we were going to be. That doesn't mean that you don't make adjustments. Hey, we struggled with this, and sometimes it may a, a game may be enough for you to realize, like you know what, that's not going to work because this kid's not a game day player. That's just kind of rare. You make your adjustments. We play bad here. We got to get better and play better next week. And then build on it, build on it, and build on it. So I, I would say it's fluid all year, David. I, I think I think what, what I would say is you're going to learn more about your team in the first game than any other game because it's your first chance to really see them in action. But the follow-up adjustments aren't going to be as stark. I really think it's – I really think like you need three games under your belt to really know who you are and really know what your strengths and weaknesses are, are looking like, you know, coming out of it. That That's kind of how I, how I look at it. That's fair. Christopher Moore with another super chat. He said, let us see, let us average 28 to 36 points every game, just in the first 22 to 30 minutes. I, I, I'd be, okay. <laughs> <Pretty good. Yeah. laughs> sure. 
off topic, 354 watching and only 64 likes. We're actually up to four over 400 watching now. Uh, come on, hit all thumbs up. Yes, Chris. I think anyone who has not hit the like button yet, I remind you now. Thank you kindly, please, to hit that like button. We would appreciate that. No, notification bell as well. Yep, yeah, very, very much. So, Chris, thank you for that. Thank you for another super chat. Brandon Plesner says, do you think Buckner can have a similar impact to that of Kyler Murray? And you cannot have any Buckner's going to watch more film jokes uh, at this particular time. So, but uh, in honest, in all honesty, do you think he can have a similar impact to that of Kyler Murray? Yeah. I, I, I want to be, I want to be specific with answering this question. Cause again, I think people could take this as you're going to say, you're saying the Tyler Buckner could be the first overall pick. No, it's not what I'm saying. Right. What I'm saying is that he does. Well, how about this similar... Heisman Trophy caliber player that I, I can could, can throw yeah. for three thousand yards and rush for a thousand? Right. How about that? It's possible. Yeah, I, I think that I think Buckner does have that upside in him. I, I think that as he becomes more comfortable, you're going to see more put on his plate, more you know opportunity kind of put out there for him to take advantage of. But I do think that it is possible. He is that similar type of dual threats. They're obviously different from a body type and style perspective. But I do think, to your question, Brandon, I do think that they could have a similar impact because, I mean, Tyler Buckner is a fantastic athlete and has all the passing upside of the world as well. So I, I do think that he could have that type of impact overall. Whenever we've had conversations about Tyler Buckner and who is he comparable to, I, I think Kyler's always the one that comes to mind the most for me. Uh, just because he's a sudden athlete, Kyler was a sudden athlete. I don't think Tyler has Ty- Kyler's arm. I no. don't think Tyler Buckner has Kyler Murray's arm. I think Tyler Kyler Murray had a cannon for an arm. Still does. And and yeah, at Oklahoma. And uh, <laughs> I don't think Tyler has that. Tyler's got more size than Kyler did as a runner. You know, I think that yep. adds to it. Um, Kyler is real shifty. Tyler's really shifty. Uh, both have very good vertical speed. I think both have pretty clean releases. I think Tyler's is a little quicker now, but he just doesn't, the ball just doesn't explode out his hand the way it did for Kyler. That would be the big difference for me between mm-hmm. the two uh, as far as passing skill set. But yeah, I, I think Tyler Buckner has certainly has that kind of talent. Now, I think the difference for me is I think Tyler has a longer road to travel to get there than Kyler did. I think Kyler came into college a lot more physically ready than Tyler because the, the program he played at, Allen, was a great program, still is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then number two, he just he played more because of, you know, Tyler played one out of – Tyler Buckner played one season in his final three years of high school. Sure. You know, that, 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 that hurt him, his development. Kyler was a guy that threw for a million yards in high school, you know. And, and so, actually, I'm going to actually look that up because, I mean, they weren't a million, obviously. Sometimes we add words or add phrases to things for effect – even if they may not be gra- grammatically correct, uh, they're used for effect. So um, I want to look up his, see if his high school stats are provided on max preps. I'm very curious about that. They are not. He threw for over 8,300 yards in his last two years and 100 touchdowns in his last two years. So I don't That's know what good. he did before that. And he rushed for 2,800 yards his last two years which is very similar to what Tyler Buckner's numbers would have been like had he not been injured. But t- Kyler Murray did that against much better folk competition than Tyler did. So uh, Tyler Buckner to me is, is a guy that I viewed as if he re- if he was, if he played his senior year would have been a top 25 player for me coming out of high school. Kyler Murray was a guy that was a top five player. So very similar in style. I think Kyler's just a little bit more dynamic. 
the entire here's, book. Here's a here's a question though. You you saw both of them coming out of high school. So who watched more film in high school? See, there you go. <laughs> you thought it was a serious question for a second. Yeah, there you go. I was like, okay, I'm ready for this. All right. Oh, that? Yeah. Uh, I hope that Tyler Buckner never has to sign a contract demanding that he watch a certain amount of film. So oh, that's like, um, I remember when Eddie Lacy signed a deal with the Packers and it had, it had, it had a certain weight that he had to be <laughs> it's underneath. Yeah. That's not a good sign. It's no. not a good sign. Nope. Ray Panconi asked, did I hear correctly that Ronan Hannafin canceled his official visit to Clemson? That is not correct. There's a lot not correct with that, Ray, if that's what someone told you. Number one, uh, Ronan Hannafin already took an official visit to Clemson. He did it on the weekend of June 5th. Uh, so the nobody can take official visits this week. Uh, Ronan is not visiting Clemson today, as some Clemson sites reported, but I can tell you with pretty good certainty that he never scheduled a visit to Clemson this week. So you can't cancel something that you never set. What was happening was is uh, Clemson writers like Notre Dame writers, like ourselves, sometimes you're not getting information from a player or his parent, So you have to look for other sources. And sometimes those sources may be affiliated in some way with the program that you cover. And so you will hear things like, Hey, we're trying to get this kid to do this. And then it's kind of like the telephone game, or maybe it's just people want to get page views or clicks or seem like they're in the know. You then report it as this is going to happen. And that's what was happening with Ronan Hannafin is there were some people that were that were rightly reporting, uh, I believe Anna Hickey, and I don't think her last name is Hickey anymore, but she was reporting that because people were sending me the different things. She was reporting that, that Clemson is trying to get Ty, Ty, uh, Ronan Hannafin to visit, which is correct. They were trying. Other people reporting it as if it was going to happen or he had scheduled it. That was incorrect. And so I think that, and then of course, somebody tells somebody who tells somebody who tells somebody that he's, he's visiting and it's an official. That's just not how it was. Uh, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have some sincere interest in Clemson. And that is the school he's having a, a difficult time deciding between. I just want to make sure that it's clear that, that no legitimate Clemson reporter that was sticking to the facts said that he was scheduled to visit, which would be required if you're going to cancel it. We sure. do believe and we know that Clemson was trying to get him to visit, but Notre Dame was also trying to get him back on campus this week and to no success because he's just he's trying to remove it and just he, he has all the intel and the data he needs. Now it comes down to decision-making mode for him. So I just want to make sure that that's out there and clear so that everybody understands. And Ray, I appreciate you bringing that up in the chat. So that way we could address it. I really do appreciate that because uh, you're not the only person wondering that. And and so my, my criticism, Ray, is not of you. I'm glad you brought this question up. It's just more of how some of these things get covered and get handled. And it's, it's increasing more and more and more, Ryan. And I'm not quite sure why I have some ideas, but I'm not sure why. Um, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Connor O'Doherty, do you think? Uh, do you guys think that a healthy Diggs or Estime has higher upside as a college back? I think I know your answer to this, but I'm going to let you answer it first, Ryan. I, I actually think it's a conversation. I would take Estime mm-hmm. just because with the size profile, I think I'd okay. into everything. Um, but if anybody said Diggs, I would be like, that's okay, not who I also. thought you were going to say. You thought I thought you were going to say Diggs. Yeah, and ah, for me, it's Diggs. I think I think the reason is is I think Diggs can do more. And okay. in today's game, there's a greater need on a guy that can do more, right? And that's my thing. And and estimate is maybe I'll, I'll say this: estimate is the better pure runner. Diggs is the better back because that that encompasses the whole thing. 
Sure. And I would say that Diggs is a Diggs is a the the gap between Diggs and Estimate in the pass game is greater than the gap between Diggs and Estimate in the run game. Is is how is why I would say that. It's interesting. So, right. yep. But as Ryan said, if Ryan wanted to say I disagree, my conversation ends there because I I think it is close and 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 I think part of it come, can come down to what your personal personal preference for what your priorities are for a back. Uh, the reality is they're both really good football players. And if they both reach their potential, Notre Dame is going to be loaded at running back. And I hope that someday we're having this conversation of who's better, Diggs or Estime. Uh, Like we could argue who was better, Reggie Brooks or Jerome Bettis. I hope we're having that conversation someday uh, based on what they're doing on the field, not their potential of projection. Because I think mm-hmm. a, a case could be made for – like I agree, the one thing you we definitely agree on, Ryan, a case could be made for either guy. There's no doubt about it. Yep. Kyle Wade says pregame song questions. I'm more of a metal fan. So my two songs for the Notre Dame pregame could be, would be creeping death by Metallica and Meridian by August Burns red. What would you add to the playlist? So can I say something about Metallica real quick? Sure. I don't really know a lot about Metallica. I'm not a metal fan, but for some reason there's been this thing popping up on my feed about a week ago. And it was a, a video from 1991 when Metallica played in Moscow. This is right after the Berlin Wall fell and the Soviet Union was collapsing. Yep. And it's like, I saw the video. There's like 2 million people in the audience. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. They were playing Enter the Sandman. Now, they had a whole uh, whole show, but the, the, in the video, it was Enter the Sandman. The most, the, how, what kind of stage presence do you have to have to keep your cool and play, perform in front of – really there's millions of people in helicopters and you're in the freaking Soviet Union. You know what I mean? Like – that's pretty wild. But other than that, that's, that's that. And the fact that they play that song before Virginia tech games is about my extensive knowledge of Metallica. Um, but uh, what would you add to the playlist? Ryan, for me, it's a lot of when I, for me, pregame was mostly Tupac and Wu Tang. Uh, Biggie was, I loved Biggie Smalls, but he wasn't like a pregame guy. It was more Tupac. It was more uh, Biggie Smalls in college. Uh, I had some Jay-Z's reasonable doubt on there. That that I still say that's his best album by far is his first album. I, I love Jay Z's first album, so that made up a lot of. And I'd have a song here. I had a Mob Deep song that'd be on there. There was a Busta Rhyme song I, I really liked on there uh, that would be on my 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 playlist. But yeah, that was mostly it's mostly Tupac and Wu Tang. See, I was a little bit different of a pregame guy. I um I went a little crazy on the field, so I actually like to chill before games. I don't like to get too amped before mm-hmm. game time. Right. So. I would listen to like some alternative stuff like the gorillas, the killers, yeah. modest mouse, something like that. Right. Like I kind of, I kind of just want to chill out a little bit, you know, right. like I'm not a get pumped to get pumped. I'm going to get pumped either right. way on the field. I want to kind of, and that's why I listen to what I listen to. That's why yeah. I didn't listen to Biggie and I listened to Tupac and Wu Tang and why I like the mob deep. And I, I, because it's, it's the rhythm. It's the, like, it's the, like, okay. It's like, okay, I'm getting into rhythm. I'm getting into like that mental place. I was not like a, you know, put on a, you know, like, um, you know, Onyx, you know, like, or, or something where it's like, you know, some of that, you know, rap where you're like really trying to get hyped up and, you know, it's just stuff that I want to get my, my mind in that right place. And, and just the music that I would listen to was stuff that would help me to just find my, my mental spot, not the stuff to, like you said, Ryan, not to fire me up. Cause I was a quarterback. So it was more of like uh outcast was somebody just put outcast goody mob. Uh, goody mob was an interesting group. But they were not on my pregame list. Outcast had some stuff on there. They would they would have a song littered in here and there as well. They had some good stuff back when I was coming out. 
Um, I guess it's cool. I could do yeah, that. Yeah, AT Aliens was um, was coming out. I think my junior, senior high school, I think is the one that came out around then. That had some. But again, it was, what is Outkast? Uh, that album, it's not a lot of hype music. It's, mm-hmm. there's, you know, the 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 beats are phenomenal. Like the, this, this, I mean, just like, like uh, oh, so another rapper that I would listen to in college, uh, uh, Guru, right? I'd listen to him because no I didn't necessarily love him, uh-huh. uh, but you know, you'd have DJ premier was the one putting down the beats. And it was, I mean, it's just, it was the, 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 it was just such a like, okay, I can, I can get into a rhythm. I can get into a flow with that type of music. Right. And, and that's, I was trying to get into that, that space space of focus and being in that rhythm. That's the kind of stuff that I would, that I would get into. And, you know, that's, that's why that stuff was, you know, anything with Primo in it was going to be, was going to have to was something that would get me into that right place. Were, were you no a doubt. Beastie Boys guy too? No, be a Beastie Boys no. Guy? no. They no. to me that's more like rock than it is rap for me. Fair. Um, fair. I mean, they got some, like to me that's a party blend. song group. You know what I mean? Like, like Snoop, Snoop Dogg. I don't. I'm not a big Snoop Dogg fan, but if I'm at a party, um, it's going to be sure. Snoop Dogg playing, right? Because you can dance to it, and it's it's you know it's it's getting me to a different place. Sipping right? on gin and juice. Yeah. Yeah. It's more you. of a you know you. it's more of a, a song that you're going to play at a at a party then you're gonna then you're gonna play like when i'm trying to get in my right mental space before a football game so very good question i always love questions like that mm-hmm. uh salty virginia peanut says are either the bowens braylon james and or the great one Jaden greathouse uh, attending the barbecue with uh novasad i thought i read that they might be but they are not on the visitors list so Jaden greathouse should be on the visitors list I, I believe we added him maybe we forgot uh bowens will not be there i don't believe uh, Peyton won't and Braylon won't either. Braylon was going to come, but they had a family function that came up that kept them from being there. But I believe Jaden Greathouse will be on campus yes. with Austin Novosad today. Is that correct, Ryan? Am I correct yeah. on that one? Last time that we heard, yes. Yep. Okay. Jared Ginn says, I believe the difference between this is more of a comment. Uh, do, do I believe the difference between Notre Dame having a good season, two to three losses, to having a great season, 0 and 1? I think he probably meant to go like eleven and uh, zero to one losses is greatly dependent on the offensive line and defensive line. Do you do you all agree with that? Yeah, yeah, both yeah. lines. I mean, we didn't talk about defense today, but yes, I, I think Notre Dame cannot be a great team if they don't get really good line play on both sides of the ball. There are other 100%. factors on top of it. It's never just about that, but that's a big key. Like, I don't think that the, the lines in sixteen and seventeen, sixteen. I don't think the the lines in twenty sixteen were terrible. I don't. The offensive line had two All-Americans on it. The defensive line in 2016 had some good players on it. It was the rest of it was garbage and the coaching was garbage is mm-hmm. the difference. Right, here's one for you, Ryan. Uh, who do you compare Marcus Freeman to? I compare him to Pete Carroll. Wow, that's an interesting. Is that you think that comparison is just for being like a player's coach type of I, feel? That's going to that be my I'm guess. From? Okay. Person like outgoing personality, players, coach, defensive coordinator. I think those are the comparisons. That's um, interesting. Pete had like several years as head coach in the NFL uh, before he came to Notre Dame. So, but um, yeah. I'll say this: I could see some similarities to Pete. Energetic, because here's where I think it comes down to: what's the one when we've talked about Marcus Freeman wanting to build competition? What's the example we use a lot? It's what Pete did at USC because for all the stuff about Pete's outgoingness and players coaching all that, his program was built on competing every single day. A lot like what Nick Saban has done at Bama since then building on that is we're going to compete every single day. I mean, Pete 
Pete Carroll was said to have had some very physical practices at USC, mm-hmm. which they had to, you know, when, when you're talking about trying to build the team that they're trying to build. So sure. in that regard, I could say yes, but that's kind of in that. And they're both defensive coordinators without going personalities. That's about where my comparisons would end. I, I don't really, yeah. I don't really have a great one though, for that one. If you're asked, I think that's kind of what I like about Freeman is that he's kind of unique yeah. in how he presents himself. So I don't think I have a great one though. So people are going to like think, this, but I think the guy he yeah. compares most to is Dabo. Now the, the way in which it manifests looks different. Cause one's a, you know, a kid grew up in Ohio and the other guys are grew up in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're going to look different, but what is the thing about Dabo? Dabo has a very engaging, genuine personality that, that his players find him to be very genuine, uh, very excitable, a guy that they love. Like I said, it manifests itself differently. Great recruiters, you know, guys that understand how important it is to compete, understand how important it is to find the right fit from a recruiting standpoint, not just recruit the best players. I think that's probably where, you know, as a head coach, where I think if there's a coach that I would say he's most similar to of what we know now, it would be Mm -hmm. Dabo. Just because, like you said, Dabo has a very unique personality. Now, Dabo and Marcus don't have the same personality. But I'm mm-hmm. from the from an impact standpoint, that's where I think the similarities are. Where very dynamic personality, very unique personality, dogs on the recruiting trail, but not people obsessed with finding the highest ranked player, but the best player that fits what we're trying to build. Uh, believe in competition, believe in fundamentals, because that's something else that Clemson hasn't gotten enough credit for. Very well coached football team when they were really rolling, they really were. They didn't just go out talent everybody they played. I mean, they did in the ACC, but it wasn't just because of that. They didn't beat Bama because they had way better players than Bama. You know, they right. didn't beat Oklahoma. They didn't beat Ohio State 31 to nothing because they had way better players. They were coached extremely well, especially early on. And mm-hmm. so I uh, I think that would probably be the one, again, manifestation of their personalities is different. I think Dabo's a lot more outgoing verbally than Marcus Freeman is, or Marcus is more – Coach Freeman is more, I'd say, somewhat stoic in how he, when he talks, it's very intentional, very purposeful. But, you know, so so how they engage it. But I think that comes from their backgrounds. Midwestern kid from a military family compared to a dude from Alabama. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but as far as what's behind it, the substance behind it, I think is very similar. And I think that would be the guy that I would most compare him to. I know there's a lot of people who don't like that because a lot of people don't like Dabo. I like Dabo a lot. I think he's a, a heck of a coach. So um, I like I like Dabo too. I yeah. like Dabo too. Yep. There yep. there is like this really weird like uh, anti Dabo thing that like kind of floats around a little bit. But it's strange. I, I know I know he says some things occasionally. You're just kind of like it's a little out of out of I don't know what the word is exactly, but he's not really in tune, I guess, with some of his sure. players at times. But you know, well, but whatever. we think that, sure, right. But seven of his ten assistant coaches are former players, sure. So I mean, uh, from the outside, we might think that he's not in tune with his players, but that's not. I mean, Christian Wilkins, did he seem out of tune with Dabo when he came back for a fifth year because he wanted to win a, a, another championship? No, right? I think it's the perception of how he's viewed by his players because he doesn't tow the line that the media thinks he should tow or certain people think he should tow. But mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. Dabo, I think, has a much better feel for what his players think than maybe that we do. But I do think the perception is there, Ryan, and that's why people don't 
like him because he doesn't say what you're supposed to say in certain situations. And, and I, I don't I think say. I don't think Dabo really cares what the media perception is on him. If I'm being completely honest, I don't think he cares so much about. Neither that, does Nick so. Saban, and I respect that. 100%. I do. I respect that. Toe Jam says, hello, I'd be friends. The worthless ESPN 300 dropped Arch Manning as their number one prospect. How much did Keon Keeley's performance against him last season have to do with that? Zero. Number one, they've had a ranking update since then before. Between the that game and this update, they've had other updates, so none. And they dropped Key on a spot. So I doubt that it had any impact at all. I will say this, as much as I hate ESPN and think their stuff is garbage, they are, have a very high opinion of Notre Dame's class. <laughs> Because I, 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 I looked at I looked at their update and then I looked at your article as well and I there wasn't a ton that I disagreed on like I disagreed like Keon's a little lower than he probably should yes. be like there's you know but it's not like Drake, Drake Bowen right yeah. like Drake Bowen's probably a little lower than he should be but like for the most part he's still, still eighty okay. yeah, right okay. I mean you had yeah. you had Keon at twenty three Peyton Bowen at thirty it's fair Braylon James at fifty four I would say that's probably a little higher than I would have Braylon James. Uh, you had uh, Micah Bell at 82. It's fair. Okay. Jalen uh, Great, Jaden Greathouse at 87. Fair. Oh, Charles Jagasaw at 77. A little lower than I would have him, but you put him yeah. and, and him and Braylon kind of an in between. I think Braylon's maybe a tad higher. Charles is maybe a little lower. And you know you're right on Micah Bell in the top 100. That's now two outlets. He made the biggest jump. He jumped 48. I think 48 spots, 46 spots. From like 128 to 82, so it'd be 46 spots, right? And so he had a big jump. He's now ranked in the top 100 by two different services, and yet still the number 67 player in the country in Texas, according to On Three. I'm going to keep saying that until they change it. Um, you had Great House at 87, Drake Bowen at 89, and Brennan Vernon at 108. Now I'd put Brennan a little higher, but that's sure. one of the more fair rankings of him. And they didn't drop them. They dropped them like three or four spots, which we've always said. Like every kid dropped like four or five spots for Notre Dame, just just about like after the first few. Mm -hmm. But it was more; those aren't drops, in my opinion. If you're dropping, like I've said, if you're dropping five to ten spots, it's not so much that you're you're you have a different opinion of you. It's just some other guys are being evaluated higher. Sure. Uh, most of them, Christian Gray fell a couple spots. He's one fifty though. Devin Houston's one eighty five. That's very fair. fair. Mm -hmm. uh, Bubakar is two seventeen. I'd that's say that's fair. probably a, a tad low, but but fair. It's in the wheelhouse because he's very raw. Mm -hmm. uh, Rico Flores at 222, very fair. Jay Lamar at 254, very fair. Uh, Jeremiah Loves, 95, very fair. Jaden Osbridge, 38, very fair. They didn't have Austin Novosad in the top 300. That's off. But that's okay. not an anti-Notre Dame thing. Uh, I think that's inaccurate. They don't have Ronan Hannaf in the top 300. I don't think that's accurate. There's some other rankings that I was like, ah, I don't like that. But they weren't as insane as they normally are. And now what I don't know is maybe there's a lot of Notre Dame dudes that are uh, – there's two reasons why I think ESPN has a more accurate ranking of Notre Dame's recruiting. recruiting. One is I'm going to assume that some of these guys have not committed to All-Star Games yet or have committed to theirs. Number two, Notre Dame has a lot of kids from states that they tend to overrate mainly Texas. And I've always felt ESPN in, like is obsessed with Florida and, and Texas recruits always has been. Well, yeah. Notre Dame's benefiting from that this year. And what, and, and they don't, not every kid from those States is inflated, but if a kid's good from Texas, they're going to give him a different look than a kid from Ohio or sure. Indiana or Illinois, in my opinion. So I think that factors into it as well. But it worked out for Notre Dame in this instance. They have more top 100 players and more top 300 players 
than any team in the country. And that's only going to grow, as I said, because two of the kids that we think Notre Dame leads for that are going to decide the summer are also both top 100 guys, Jaden Osbury and Jeremiah Love. So they're not slowing down, folks. They're not slowing down. Garen Nutson says, what does it take to change the mentality of an offensive line to be more violent at the point of attack? What will make the O-line nasty in the run game? I, I'm – I'm going to I'm going to make it simple hire Harry Heestand which right. ties into the philosophy. Look, mm-hmm. what does it take? It, it Ryan said it earlier. It's about instilling a mindset. So when you watch coach Heestand's team's practice, they will force Lima to finish every drill off. They will make him block a guy at least 10 to 20 yards down the field depending on the drill they're doing. And it's just every single thing that they do and just never settling. Just it's never good enough. It's got to be better. It can be better got to be tougher, got to be stronger. And then when they don't give you that, you immediately correct it. And with Coach Eastan, he re, he corrects it with some force. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the biggest thing, too, is he teaches how to do it. That's the biggest thing. It's I can tell you, got to be tough, got to be tough, got to be tough. But I got to teach you how to be tough. I got to teach you how to play with the right technique to be violent, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I can, I can want to be violent, but I could then also lead with my face every time I block you. That's not going to be as effective as a guy that's bringing his hands when he when he comes, right? I mean, I could want to be violent and, and hit you as hard as I can and then stop my feet. And it's I'm over. not going to be great, right? That, um, that's, a, that's the stalemate versus finishing right, aspect right. of what I was talking about earlier. But yep. it, it goes beyond the philosophy is fine, and, that, and that's got to be there. And I don't think the philosophy was there in the past, Ryan, especially sure. the, the years where you didn't have Chris Watt. But then you have to follow it up with proper teaching on how to carry out that philosophy. And that's what makes Harry Heastan special. It's not that he believes in being physical and no other offensive line coaches do. It's he believes it and then he teaches it and then demands that it be done every single time, every single day. And I think that's a, a big part of what makes him it's, it's like any, special. It's, it's like any belief that you have, right? Unless you live it and you have practically, you know, just practice it, then it's not really having the full effect, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a... You have to, I mean, the offensive linemen have to believe what Coach E stands teaching them, right? And that's kind of why mm-hmm. they do the drills every single day. That's why they talk the same terminology every single day because that's something that needs to be instilled in you. Agree. It's a great, great, great reason why you hire Harry E stand. Randy Hernandez with another super chat. Brian, good luck with the new platform I'm in. I appreciate that, Randy. Love it. Very, very much. Let's see what we've we've actually gotten up to. Is we've uh, we've added about forty some people since we started. So yes, we nice. appreciate that very much. So we'll uh, we always appreciate people joining our channel. I'm going to put that link into the bottom again. So I appreciate people going there and helping us get to a thousand subscribers. So thank you, thank you very much for that, Randy. Alan Watson with a super chat. Is the weakness of this year's team just reps? Meaning like experience. experience. Yeah, I think so. That's what I took it as. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a weakness, though. I think the weakness of this team is kicking. That's the only spot that I view as a weakness. I think what I would say, Alan, and I think we're on the same page, Alan. I would say the biggest concern I have is a lack of reps at some very important positions. Now, the difference between me and the last guy that was in charge of the football program is I don't think that's an excuse for not being successful. I think it's what you have to address. You, what you what you focus on in the offseason and in camp needs to be to overcome that, not to make it as an excuse and then just lean into it all year. That's mm-hmm. the difference. But, yes, I think that's the biggest thing that needs to be addressed. Is And that's like, like Ryan said earlier, right, what we're talking about with, like, protecting certain things. There's things you can do early in the season to not 
put the same pressure on us on a first start of his career, Tyler Buckner, that you will on the 30th start of his career, Tyler Buckner. Sure. Right. Because you're aware of the fact that this is where he is. And we're going to coach to that and then coach him beyond that as the season goes on is what mm-hmm. I would say, Ryan. Do you have any other uh, kind of thoughts on that as far as maybe if there's anything else that you yeah. might think be a bigger concern for you? I would say this, Alan. We, I mean, I think your question, and I agree with it, is there is an ex- inexperience to, to a couple of key positions like Brian kind of indicated. I mean, it was in this podcast, right? If you listen to the first portion, talked about quarterback, we talked about the two tackles. And we're, you, Notre Dame is going to be depending on sophomores, which – Tyler Buckner has not started a football game for Notre Dame. Joel started a few football games for Notre Dame. And Blake Fisher has played in one and a half football games in general. So there is going to be some uneasiness because there are a lot of positions where are very important and you have sophomores and a couple of them are, you know, guys that are going to be making their first major action as far as from a starting perspective. So I, but to your point, Brian, I think, you can't steer away from it, right? Like if you have true belief in those players, got to play them, right? Like they need live bullets. It needs to happen eventually. So I, I don't think that you should be af- afraid of that inexperience. I think it's just something where you have to understand that like, hey, early on in the season, maybe this player, I might need to protect him a little bit more with this, you know, if it's an offensive tackle, you're not feeling great about, maybe I might need to leave the tight end in occasionally. Maybe I need to chip. Maybe I need to, you know, kind of, um, slide my protection his way to, to help him out, like those types of things. There's always ways to help, but I think more than anything, you can't be afraid to play your talents because I think right. that we've seen teams. I mean, right. Alabama's not, right. yeah, Alabama's not a play, for, uh, not afraid to play freshmen. Clemson's not a fl- afraid to play freshmen or sophomores. Why? Why should Notre Dame be? They have to be on right. that same level eventually. And people say we got to earn it. Well, that's sure. one of the biggest misconceptions because if you're not given the opportunity to earn something, you can't earn it. Right. right? I mean, that's the reality of it. You. You know, every, it's what you earn opportunities, not necessarily that that that's a great slogan. That's not always mm-hmm. practically how things pan out. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to be given opportunities to earn certain things in sports. Right. You know, uh, I could be the greatest at something, but if nobody will hire me to do it, then, OK, well, I, I, I either going to not do it or going to go start on my own. Right. I mean, yeah. well these kids can't leave and go start their own teams. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you have to be given an opportunity uh, to, to, to then go earn that opportunity. So it's a, it's two different opportunities today is how I would look at it. Ryan. I'm not sure uh, if what, beyond that. I mean, it's, it's never, the, I, there's a lot of slogans in sports that sound great, but in practicality, they're, they're just not quite, um, as true as the, you know, they're not blankets, right? Right. I mean, you have to prove yourself, right? And you have to earn your playing time. That's true. But to act as if your mere presence in the program is an, is an earning of that opportunity is not accurate. Well, I mean, we've There's, heard about a lot. We've heard about a lot of recruits that like they want to be promised positions before they even right. get on campus. Right? right. I mean, that's kind of, it's not right. always true. It's just not right. always true. Right. Christopher Morgan with another super chat. Darn it. All three of you talk about possible multiple roles per player in scheme. I feel like Notre Dame should hire three, you three as advisors. You have my votes. <laughs> I I kind of cool. like what I'm doing now. <laughs> I kind of like, I kind of like what I'm doing now. I appreciate that. But, but though, we, Chris. but we can keep doing what we're doing now. If we just be yeah. consultants. Though. There you go. So there that's you go. a little side hustle. There you go. <laughs> side hustle. I love it. I love it. 
Travis with Super Chat. Can you guys give us any insight to how the staff, sorry, I'm just looking over Ryan, saying being a consultant for Marcus Freeman and the staff is a side hustle. That was so great. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Travis. Um, can you guys give us any insight to how the staff interacts with specific kids like Wingo, Scott, Novasad, et cetera, compared to the rest of the group? I, I, I will say this, Travis. I don't think you can. I don't think you can interact in a in a a way you're interacting any different with those three kids because there are so many big time kids on campus. Like you just left off six or seven kids that are very important to this class. I think what you do is is you have targeted things for all those kids. And sometimes when you treat all the kids similarly for the kind of kid that Notre Dame wants, that's actually going to help you as much. Like, you know, where that you're not treating a kid bad and you ignored this kid and then that kid's kind of complaining about it. And, and then that kind of spreads. I think what you do is, is I think there are targeted messages in your interactions that are meant to be impactful for that. There may be some things that you do from a part of the trip aspect that is different. Maybe you make some time with Tommy Reese to spend a little bit extra time breaking down film with Austin Novosad, right? And so he may not be there. But when he's around the other kids, he needs to interact in a very similar fashion to those kids. I think that's a very important for a place like Notre Dame. So how they interact should be the same for all the kids. Treat them all with respect and love. You love all of them, right? And it, you know, and 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 you're excited that they're you're thankful that they're on campus and you're excited to show them what you have to to offer the 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 what you do is where i think the biggest difference is ryan the the word that always gets brought up with recruits whether it's 2023 or 2024 that i've spoken to is authentic Mm -hmm. and i think that you don't need to put on a facade or change your personality in order to kind of fill it right like i think there's different ways like if me and brian have completely different personalities it's that's okay right we can still get to a good place because there's still common ground that we can come to right in in that situation so i don't think that coaches are like morphing their personalities to try to you know fit in better with ryan wingo's personality or an austin novaset's personality i just think that it's preaching an authentic approach and this is the vision we have for you Mm -hmm. and you know to paint a good environment around you right like i think that's mm-hmm. the end all be all i don't think you have to kind of change your personality to fits with certain recruits personally that's just me though i agree archer 452 ryan this is a personal question ryan if you don't mind uh, sharing uh yes. what is the tattoo on your on your right arm i too have a tattoo on my right arm on the forearm not uh not the inside so i, I started a i started a half sleeve a couple years ago and i is not finished but it is a notre dame centric tattoo that has Touchdown Jesus on there. I don't know if you could see that. I need to turn it this way, I there guess. I have the Leprechaun. I have the ND. I have a Shamrock, and I have the Play Like a Champion underneath. But it is not finished yet. But it is a love to Notre Dame football. So I'm going to be excited when I see the IB tattoo on the arm. That's when I'm going to oh. be excited. Hey, man. <laughs> Sign me to a 10-year deal, and uh, you got it done. <laughs> Well, I mean, getting a tattoo would kind of force my hand there. Like, well, I got to <laughs> sign the guy now. I got a yeah. tattoo. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> All right. Quinn, Quinn Kelly with a super chat. Uh, will Blake Fisher fall in the draft when the time comes due to the fact he plays right tackle? No, no, not anymore. Not anymore. It, it won't be because right. the difference between right tackle and left tackle have become less and less kind of 
it's it's something where right tackle is very important. Left tackle mm-hmm. is you could still argue is a little more important if you have a right-handed quarterback for the blindside aspect of it, but I don't think that they're going to hold it against him because I think especially with Blake Fisher, he has traits where I think you can look at him and say he could be a left tackle if he wanted him to be a left tackle, right? Like it might look a little different than some, but I think that he could still project favorably there. So I, I just don't think the difference between right tackle and left tackle is as vast as it once was. So I don't think it'll be – it might drop you a couple spots, but it's not going to be like, a oh, my God, you're dropping half a round or you're dropping a round type of thing. I just don't see that situation happening. Can I ask a, two questions? Number one, yes. would you say that that being a right tackle, if you're a dominant right tackle, mm-hmm. would you say that you can still be a top five pick? Yes. I think Lane Johnson was the okay. number three overall pick, if I remember correctly, and he was a right tackle coming okay. out of Oklahoma, and he's only ever played right tackle. So it's very possible. As long as you have the traits that you could be a dominant football sure. player at the end of the day. And yes. part of its team need. I get that yep. too. 100%. Second. Second question I have, would you say yes. that right versus left is more impactful when it comes to negotiating your second contract? Oh, it's going to make a bigger difference in the numbers that you get as opposed to more than it affect your draft status. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's a, a great way to put it is if I was Blake Fisher and I had my eyes forward to the NFL, I would probably want to be a left tackle in college because then it's easier to project forward to that, right? So a left tackle is going to make more money than a right tackle. Even that, I think, is becoming – less and less of a, a, a difference as far as like the price tag, but it's still, you know, left tackles are just naturally going to get paid more. So yeah, right. I would think so. I also don't that's think like, it's that's like the, that's like the being labeled a tight end versus wide receiver thing right. that we see now with like Darren right. Waller and stuff. It's just like, right. yeah. So I, I would also say that um, I would argue that, that I'm curious to see how Blake Fisher's perceived when he's going to the draft about whether or not some teams might actually view him as someone who can play left tackle. That's what I'm, yeah, that's yeah. What I'm saying is, yeah. is I think that he has the traits where you could project it. It's yeah. like Lane Johnson's an interesting one. Cause Lane Johnson could absolutely play left tackle. It right. was just, it's just like a, he's so good at right. Why would we move him type of conversation? But I'm sure there would have been some teams that would have been like, we're moving you to left tackle. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Nicholas Moore. This is an interesting two-parter. He says, I miss Tavon Coney, top five linebacker in the Kelly area, in my opinion. He says, it's always baffled me that Tavon didn't work out in the NFL. I truly don't understand why he didn't pan out. I want to address the first part of this. Mm-hmm. I'd be hard-pressed not to have Tavon in the top five of linebackers under the Kelly era. And and I think my five, if I'm having to, like, okay, the easy ones, Manti, Jalen, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. Right, we're count, we're counting rovers then, definitely. Yes, because I count as a linebacker. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, yep. So it, that'd be my three. Yep. My number four would probably be Drew Tranquil. True, true. Yeah, and yeah. then my mm-hmm. number five would be Tavon. I, I, I would because I mean Tavon was per, very productive for multiple seasons sure. and played Mike and Will. And I mean, I would argue the best linebacking duo, the best inside linebacker tandem that Notre Dame had in Brian Kelly's tenure was Drew and Tavon in 2018. 
Like that was a really, really good linebacking core, really good linebacking core. And I would say the 2017 group that had drew at Rover with Tavon Greer and Niles inside was also pretty darn good mm-hmm. as far as just an entire unit. Cause like Jalen never played with other great linebackers or other good linebackers, even really Manti yeah. didn't even really play with that. I mean, he was Dan Fox and Carlo Calabrese. I'd say that, that, that group of Tavon Greer, Niles and drew at Rover, which is the 2017 linebacking group was pretty darn good. And the best yeah. one-two punch inside was Drew and Tavon in 2018. I, I was trying to think of if there would be anybody that would even have a fight for number five. I mean, not you mentioned Niles Morgan. He was a good football player. But um, he's not. It's, there's a big drop-off to yeah, him and those right. other guys. Yeah. Right. I can't even think of anybody else that might be even the conversation. So he might be five by default. Just... Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's I mean, there's guys that played. Dan Fox played a lot of football. I think Spawn Danny Spawn would have had a, 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 a much better career if not for injuries. He was a very mm-hmm. un- like a, a really not talked about, but really important piece to that 2012 defense. And then yeah. the other part of it is, you know, do you count like technically Prince Prince Shimbo was a linebacker, but because they were a three, four team, but I don't count him as a linebacker. I don't count Darius Fleming as a linebacker. I think they were more edge yeah. players to me. Oh, they're edges. Yeah. Yeah. They're like Carlo, really Carlo was really good in 2010. Carlo and Manti in 2010 before Carlo got hurt was a really good inside linebacker do now they benefited from at the time playing a bunch of teams that year that were geared towards their style of play you know of the world right yeah but um i mean yeah i mean i I think that's twofold number one is i think that group of five was really good you know because like niles was a you know good player at notre dame multi-year starter i would say that that um i mean drew drew white played a lot of football he was very productive at notre dame Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do think that there's a bit of a drop off between that that top. I'd say that top six. Like Grim Martini was never a full time starter. James Onwalu had one year as a starter, was never great. Osmar had one good year as a linebacker. I was about to say Osmar had one good yeah, year. Yeah, 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 but he was not good in other years. You know, Dan Fox was steady and solid, just unspectacular. Um, you know, so there's a lot of stuff like that. But um, I think Schmidt. there's a pretty big drop off between the top six i'm gonna move right past that between the top <laughs> six and and the rest of the guys on that on that group if unless i mean i could just be completely forgetting somebody but that would i like be. i like james on but i agree yeah. with you yeah he, I mean, he played he was a starter for one year on a terrible defense you know sure i mean um but yeah he was he was a good football player he's a good football mm-hmm. player now to tavon in the nfl tavon was actually not very athletic Tavon was a downhill guy and Tavon was pretty instinctive. Uh, He was also very strong at the point of attack. Tavon could pack a punch at the ball. Oh, he didn't miss a workout. No, especially (laughs) upper body day. He did not miss curl day or bench day or any other upper body workout day. Uh, Tavon was very stiff athletically. And and I've Mm -hmm. shared this before, and this is an example of it. We were at the combine after the 20, not combine, the Notre Dame's pro, pro day after the 2018 season. And there's a drill that they will put linebackers and DBs through, but especially linebackers, where they will have them line up on the sideline and they will have them backpedal on uh, like the 25 yard line. So it's like a straight line. And then as they're backpedaling, they will then turn them. They will tell them to flip their hips. And the, the goal is you're supposed to flip your hips, right? And then come back and keep backpedaling and flip your hips. And the goal is to see how tight. A guy is or how loose a guy is well when drew Tranquil did it i mean he stayed on that yard line he was like flipping his hips like smooth and it looked man like that's an athletic dude right tavon turned it into a zigzag drill and and and, and, and 
not on purpose. Because if you're tight and you're not a real limp, like um, a flexible athlete, when you turn and you're tight, it's your your whole body has to turn, and it's going to take you off that line. That's why they have you drop off that line. And so when Tavon did it, it was like this, and and it's not what it's supposed to look like because he was very tight hipped, very tight hipped. But that's not the only reason Tavon didn't get a shot, didn't get drafted. There were some. There were some other reasons that were not football related, and I'll just leave it at that. And that Tavon didn't, and and he's not, he wasn't good enough or athletic enough, I should say, at that level to to overcome those things, right? Like you can overlook Ruben Foster's background because he's a freaky athlete and a really talented player. Tavon wasn't good enough to overcome those things. That's just simple as that. Any, anything you like to add to that, Ryan? Uh, now, I, you, you know a lot more about his background as far as the yeah. off-the-field stuff. I know we've talked about it, but, you know, I, I will right. say the biggest thing for me is that he is, was extremely tight. Like, change of mm-hmm. direction was just not great. He was ne- he was never going to be an asset in the passing game. Right. He would have had to have been just a early down run stopper and made his living on special teams. And that, that right there, that right there is why the NFL is not a projection for him. Because college football is still very much a running game. Even teams that throw it a lot, like Ohio State and Oklahoma, still would run for 200 yards a game, right? Mm-hmm. In the NFL, teams – at the point now we're outside the Titans, does anybody really care about running? It's like 7,000-yard backs in the NFL last year. You know what That's I mean? Crazy. Like in a 17-game season. So uh, it's just a different league, and that first and second now back doesn't have a lot of value. It just mm-hmm. – it, it doesn't. And, and nope. Tavon, if, if tw- ten, 15, 20 years ago well, – I'll say this. 20 years ago, Tavon still gets drafted because his value to what the league was 20, 30 years ago would have been a whole lot different. He wouldn't have been a high pick, but he would have got drafted because they would have overlooked his other stuff because he'd have brought value. Manti is a top 15 pick 20, 30 years ago. 100%. Right? The game has evolved, Mm -hmm. uh, and and that's what hurt Tavon because as a downhill, in-the-box guy, Tavon was a – he was a stud. His last mm-hmm. year at Notre Dame, and and really his last two, because people forget he led the team in tackles, I believe, in 2017, and he wasn't even a full time starter. Yeah. He was in that rotation with Greer and Niles, and and Drew was outside of Rover. He was a mm-hmm. really good player, really good player. And you are correct; he did not miss a workout. Like he he did not miss. He, he definitely does not miss a curl day. There's no doubt. Body about that. body beautiful was about Tavon Coney. Yes, there's no doubt. All right, Seth Clark with a recruiting question: What would you grade? This is a an easy answer. What would you grade a wide receiver class in 2024 that has Ryan Wingo, Cam Williams, Emmett Mosley, and Mylon Graham? Can I go higher than an A plus? I mean, can you say gap erased? <laughs> gap erased? Oh, super erased, yeah. Yeah. That That's is, a lot of explosiveness and talent in that group, Ryan. Sure is. I mean, Ryan Wingo, I think boundary or to the Seth field. has everybody super fired up right now because that is one heck of a receiving <laughs> class right there. Man, that is yeah, and they're all they're all. I mean, most of them are like pretty versatile two players, Brian. Like, I mean, everyone almost. Yeah. I think every one of those guys could play two different spots at wide receiver at least. Yeah. Like it's yeah. And yeah. and Ryan Wingo's the alpha. I mean, he's just a flat out alpha. You know, Mylon Graham's your Kevin Stefferson, you know, style wise. Emmett Mosley's your Avery Davis with more speed. Uh, you know, Cam Williams is is just that smooth operator i mean that's a really talented group and you're you're absolutely right Ryan. there's a lot of a lot of different types of skills in there and guys that can do yeah. different things there's no doubt 
I like that you just dropped Kevin Stepperson with Mylon Graham. That was my comparison. I yeah. thought they were pretty similar players. Yep. Archer452 says, uh, Jabron Payne was a guy Ohio State kept an eye on, but ultimately never offered. Neither did Notre Dame, actually, until Dylan McCullough got. Well, they offered, but he was, didn't have a committable offer uh, because of the injuries. Do you think he has a chance to push for significant playing time, or will he get passed up by guys in the 23 and 24 classes? I, I think is, he has a chance to play. I just think I, I'm interested to see how they bring him along in 20 in his well, he's a 2022 guy, obviously. So we're talking about the 2022 season first. I'm interested to see how he is pulled along. Like I, I, I would hope it would be slowly just to make sure injuries and everything related, but he might be a guy that might have to play a little bit, right. Mm-hmm. With the lack of depth, obviously with the injury to Jadarian price and Logan Diggs coming back from injury. So I think he could play. It's just, it's going to be tough. I mean, there's going to be a lot of dudes in front of him over the next couple of years, but if he's able to get any type of role in 2022, that's I think that's big time for him. I'm just interested to see how the staff kind of brings him along, if I'm being honest. So for me, it's hard for me to answer because I just don't know who he is as a player. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, as a, if, if he gets back to being a more mature version of the sophomore that we saw, yeah, he's got a chance to play because he, he's a he's a really explosive back. He's elusive. He can catch the ball. I've compared him to Theo Riddick with a little bit more speed. That's a heck of a comparison. The problem is I don't know if that guy still exists. We've never seen it. He did not. He played one game as a junior, tore his knee up, and then last year he averaged like barely four yards a carry and had less than 300 yards rushing. I don't know if that guy still exists. Uh, If he still exists, Jabron Payne will play at Notre Dame. Of that, I have no doubt. He will play at Notre Dame. Will that be as a starter, as a role player? I don't know, but he will help at Notre Dame. If he's healthy, I, I do believe that it's just, it's hard for me to dive too much into it. Cause I just don't know if he's still that guy. Cause we just haven't seen it. And I hope he is. Cause they're going to need him. He's going to have to, he's going to have to play some, some role this year. Even if it's like the Dexter Williams role in 2000, uh, 2015, you know, where Dex got 20 some carries. Cause he was the, once Torian Folsom got hurt, he was the third back. Yeah. And he had to play. And so it, it, he, you're going to see that from Jabron until Logan Dix comes back. Uh, Terry Falson's injury still hurts my heart. Yes, it does. He was so him. Oh, that would have been such a backfield that year behind that line. Oh my goodness. Who Archer four, five, two also says at the end of the season, where do the units rank nationally? So we'll make a prediction. Mm -hmm. So first is Tyler Buckner, a top 15 quarterback by the end of the season. Yes. Yes. I I agree. The very least, he's a guy that we will be looking at as a projecting as a top 15 guy going into 2023 at the very least. If, if, Mm -hmm. He's the guy that we think he is. Is the O line unit top five? <sighs> I, I think by the end be. of the season, I yeah. say yes. Yeah, that's that's, yeah, that's a question. End of the season. Yeah, I know. Yes, yeah. I would say top five. I think this offensive line is going to be very good. And, and I and think right, a lot and, of the. Go I was going to say preseason outlook when we did kind of the uh, was it Lindy's and yeah. at, and Athl- like there was not a ton of really impressive offensive lines. No, to start that's the year, what I was getting so. ready to say. A lot yeah. of the best offensive lines from recent years, Kentucky's an example that nobody talks about. We know Bama lost Evan Neal and different guys, but like a team like Kentucky, who's had a very underrated offensive line in recent years, they lost Aaron Kennard. They lost another kid that got drafted and then they lost their offensive line coach to Bama. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of turnover at places. There's not a lot of like really impressive lines coming back to your point. So I, I don't think, I mean, heck Lindy's had him ranked number one. I mean, so there's already people predicting it coming into the year. So I, I think it I think it will be. And sometimes it's you know, preseason hype or whatever. Uh, do the running backs or wide receivers rank in the top 10? 
Let's do them separately. Let's do them separately. Let's go running because I I would say no at the receivers. Yeah. If if we're not including Michael Mayer, I'd say no at receiver. But I don't think they have to be top ten. If all the other things are what we think they're going to be, they just need to be top twenty five type of receivers. Because again, we're talking twenty five. You're top twenty five caliber team at that position. Uh, so I would say in your like one or two at tight end, right? I mean, their depth charts first or second, you know, them or Georgia at tight end, I would say that I'd give the advantage to Georgia right now because they're number two and three with Eric Gilbert and Darnell Washington are more proven than Notre Dame's two and three and, sure. and, you know, talented players, but receiver, I don't think is top 10, Ryan. I, I don't, no. it'll be good, but not top 10 I running agree. backs. If they're healthy, that's a different story for me. And I'd say, I mean, yes. yes. I mean, I said earlier in the show, I think that that trio could be one of the best in college football if they all play to their abilities and are healthy. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say top 10 for sure. All right. We're getting close to the end. So many great questions today, everybody. Jonathan Kazmarek, who is back. We haven't seen Jonathan in a while. Welcome back, Jonathan. Says, I would love to see Chris Tyree be involved in the passing game. Feed him passes out of the backfield and watch him fly. His speed is too much of a weapon to not be utilized in such a way. Ryan, this is why when we talk about Chris Tyree, I mm-hmm. rarely use the word carries, and instead I use the word touches. touches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Touches includes all of it. Returns, carries, catches. And with Chris Tyree, you've got to look at him that way. Because as, as Jonathan said, and we saw it last year, that kid, when you get him in space or get him a step in the pass game, he is dynamic with the ball in his hands because of it. 100%. 100%. first play I mean, of the game against Oklahoma State, Ryan, we talk about the 50-yard. The that was the easiest reception touchdown he's ever had. Yeah. Yeah. He caught the ball, and there was nothing in front of him for 50 yards. The first play where he turns a swing route that he catches behind the line into a 20-yard gain, that's the kind of stuff that Chris Tyree can bring to the table. Yeah, I mean, I, I envision – Angle routes, option routes, swing screens. Again, I don't think that he's a guy, and I know people ask this all the time, that we're going to throw into the slot a ton. But as that mismatch weapon out of the backfield working against linebackers, absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's it's a big-time talent because, like Jonathan said, all you need to do is just give him a little bit of space. From there, he breaks angles, just breaks them. Like you Mm -hmm. need a perfect angle on – Chris Tyree to be able to corral him heading toward the sideline. Like he is just mm-hmm. going to, he's, he's just a ridiculous athlete. So I agree. You need to get him involved and you saw it already. I think you got a little bit of a preview in the Oklahoma state game as like, Hey, this is going to be a guy in the passing game as well for us. Yep. USMA 87. Can you provide some background on why Tyler Buckner changed his throwing motion? I can't tell you firsthand I've never talked to Tyler, any of his family or anybody or coaches about it. My understanding of what people have told me that is the reason. So again, this is second hand information is that apparently the coach that worked with him in high school thought that there was some inaccuracy on shorter throws. His throwing motion created inaccuracy on shorter throws. So it was designed to create more accuracy on shorter throws. I never saw that, uh, but that's what I was told as to why. And as I'll always say, I think that, they, that that one of the things that hurts a lot of kids is there's a ton of people there. Look, quarterback coaching has become a bit of a big business in sports. Sure and does. you're not going to pay someone hundreds and if not thousands of dollars to simply say, hey, you got good motion. Let's work out together and I'll, I'll, I'll make sure it stays clean. I don't need you for that. Right. I've got to find a flaw 
that I only I can then address. And, you know, that's how people like George Whitfield become what they are and what other people become. Not, not all. There's some really good quarterback coaches out there. Sure. So, so I'm not trying to throw everybody under the bus. There's some really good quarterback coaches out there. They're just, uh, and this is more true at the high school level than, than others, but it's, it's, it's like with anything, when something becomes like, wow, there's, there's, I can make a living doing that. Then some people are going to exploit that and take advantage of that. And, you know, it's just not a, I'm not saying that happened with Tyler. It just, it'd be my concern because I don't know his coach. It may not have been the case. He may have generally felt he had that problem, but that's just, that's always my danger. And the first thing I think of is like, you know, there's, there's too many people doing that, that uh, just, I don't, I don't trust. Zach Nichols says, Brian, I have a question I've been meaning to ask you. I know you talk about gap closures and gap erasers. Have you considered uh, adding a gap creators class? I'm thinking of last year's Reardon and Stace. Well, what we kind of talked about, Zach, and, and, I, and I love the thought process there. I love when people think about things like this. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not that it's a gap creator because they didn't create the gap. Um, you know, it's more of like they're continuing the, to the gap, right? It's you're already there and, and you're just make, maintaining the gap, I guess, is the, is the way to say it, right? Like gap maintainer, you know, gap maintainers, right? Because you're, you're, you've already got the, the you're, you're already that program, right? And now it's about maintaining that um, and as being the best, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's something to think about something, but that's kind of like why I like the gap erasers. Cause it's, it's more of a, a you know, just, I don't know. It's more fun that way. I, I like that. I like that idea, but it's I always like think about that, but I, I appreciate, like a, go ahead, Ryan. I was just going to say the gap erasers is like an underdog type of thing, right? Like we're erasing the gap. Let's get mm-hmm. there type of thing. Yes. Respect it. Yes. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to see, um, I want to see that be more of a conversation in the future years, Zach. I think that's one thing we could definitely be fun to talk about is when it's having the conversation like, okay, where, where is that gap sort of already established and need to be maintained? I think tight end is one. I think mm-hmm. offensive line was there and they have fallen off and I think they'll get quickly get back there. But I mean that to me, that's it really right now for Notre Dame, you know, um, as far as just units, I mean, there's, there's, Nobody has has produced more dynamic linebackers in the last decade than Notre Dame. That's why there's mm-hmm. only one team with three Buckus Award winners the last 10 years. The difference is, is Notre Dame has those three that could compete with anybody, but other teams have like nine. Sure. Right? There's a there's a bigger gap. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, Ryan, we talked about, like, the five guys that we talked about. Like, there's a big drop-off after the top five or six guys. 100%. You know, and, and even then, five, like, n- number four for us is a guy that was a, what, fourth-round pick in the NFL mm-hmm. draft? Good player. I was going to say, there's a, there's a pretty, I mean, top three. Top, I was going to say, after the third guy, there's a little bit of a gap, if we're being honest. Like, yeah. if we're tiering it, it's like top three, then there's a gap between three and four, and then there's another gap between four and five, and then there's a huge right. gap after five, if we're being right. honest. So, right. Agree. Agree. Salty Virginia Peanuts says, with Virginia, with <laughs> Virginia, with wide receiver positional flexibility, can Notre Dame bait a defensive personnel set? and then use tempo to keep the defense from substituting while receivers change. So I'll just be real clear. As long as the receivers aren't aren't switching who the receivers are. So like mm-hmm. anytime you bring a new person onto the field, the defense by rule is given an opportunity to, to rotate or substitute to the point where officials will stand over the ball and mm-hmm. say you can't snap it until they've, they look over and if they don't make a change, then then you move on. But to his point, I believe his question is more geared towards within a 
the same personnel grouping, the same three receivers on the field. So yep. in that regard, Ryan, why don't you uh, answer the question? I just want to make sure we're all on the same page from the context of it. Yeah, as, as long as you're keeping the same players on the field, you don't have to let that substitution happen like Brian Sands. So yeah, you could obviously pick up that tempo and you can really force I mean, especially if you get them in the wrong, if if they're in the if even if they substitute and they bring in maybe the incorrect substitution that they wanted, you know, kind of what kind of with some with some um hindsight to it, you could definitely get them into some bad situations. And as you're on lot, I mean, it doesn't even have to be just that it's the three receipt. You could keep the same set, but then you're running different types of plays out of it. You're working the RPO game. You're doing different types of things. So yeah, as, as long as you are not allowing a substitution, you can, you can tempo them to death at that point. Yeah. So a uh, very good answer, Ryan, to that. So that is going to do it everybody for today's show. Uh, great questions today. Uh, great questions. We had a, a question from Irish shy town about the draft. Uh, we're not going to get to that, that we actually had a show on that. We'll get to that another time. Irish shy town. We got to get rolling here. Uh, lots of great questions, a lot of great interaction. Thanks everybody for being with us today. Six o'clock tonight. So two hours from tonight, make sure that you don't miss out on uh, what we've got going on tonight. Obviously Vince is going to be hosting uh, Irish breakdown sports talk at six o'clock. He and I will actually be on the show together tonight. So uh, since Sean is out of town, Vince is going to have me on and we're going to talk some Notre Dame football. So you're going to want to be there uh, in, in two hours. That's why we kind of got to get rolling here because I've got to recover uh, this a little bit and then uh, grab some food so we can get ready. So for Vince and I tonight at six o'clock, we're going to talk some Notre Dame football. I got to get with him on what his uh, what his topics are. I'm not quite sure what he wants to talk about tonight. So we'll, we'll talk Notre Dame football. Uh, tonight at six o'clock. So uh, everybody else may say, okay, nailed it. Join the message board, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, leave a five-star review, visit the Irish breakdown store for cool merch like this. Ryan is rocking no merch today, but he does have the flag in the background, which can be found uh, in the store as well. And as always go Irish. Thanks everybody. Have a great, great, rest of your day we'll see hopefully see all of you again here in about two hours uh for me and vince and vince is always around he's always around so uh thanks everybody we'll talk to you again very very soon thank you for joining us on the irish breakdown podcast
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.